Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if there's one thing that we've all done this past week, it's this. We've gotten dirty. You've gotten dirty. I've gotten dirty. We've all gotten dirty. Also you children. You've gotten dirty too. That's why your mom or dad tells you to wash your hands. That's why we, we had baths or, or showers. It's, it's because we get dirty and we need the dirt to be washed away. We've all gotten dirty. But that's not just true physically. It's also true spiritually. We've all gotten spiritually dirty this past week. What am I talking about? Do you know children? I'm talking about sin. We've all sinned in different ways at different times. We've all gotten spiritually dirty. In fact, that that is actually what we are left to ourselves. That's how we're conceived and born. We just confessed that together in the Psalter we sang based on Psalm 51. Behold, in evil I was formed and I was born in sin. So the problem isn't just that we've gotten dirty. The problem is that by nature, we are dirty. And if we are to be righteous before God, if we are to be accepted by Him who is pure, who is holy, we all then need the dirt, the dirt of our sins and our sinfulness to be washed away. But how is our sin washed away? How can we be made spiritually clean? How can we be spiritually washed? Well, God tells us in His Word, doesn't He? It's by the blood and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the way our sins are washed away. That's the way we are made spiritually clean. Let me just mention two verses to show that to you. The first one is 1 John 1 verse 7. It says there that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's 1 John 1 verse 7. And the second one is this, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. Paul says, speaking of the Corinthian believers, he says, You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So God tells us in His Word that the way to be washed is by the blood and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But He doesn't just say it in His Word. He also illustrates that to us. He he signs and seals it to us in baptism. That's the topic we, we hope to consider from Scripture this afternoon, the topic of baptism. We hope to do this over two sermons, as I mentioned in my note in the bulletin and and as we start on this, these sermons, just by the way, I, I know this topic can raise a lot of questions. And so I want you to, to know that you are, should feel free to reach out to me with any questions you may have. I, I will do my best to, to answer them as well as I can. I cannot promise that I will answer them to your satisfaction, but I will do my best. So today, in, in light of the Scripture's teaching on baptism including especially in the passages we read, our focus will be on what is baptism and what it's all about. Our theme is baptism, the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. 
That's really just a summary of the main point of this sermon. Baptism is the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. We'll see that under three headings. First of all, it's divinely appointed practice. Secondly, it's divinely attached promise. And thirdly, it's divinely affirmed purpose. So let's start, first of all, with considering its divinely appointed practice. The Lord himself commands his people to practice baptism in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We read that earlier. The resurrected Christ is is speaking to his disciples there, and he says to them in verse 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is Christ's charge to his disciples, to his apostles. This is what they are to do. And by implication, this is what the church is to do until the end of the world, until he comes again. The church's primary task is to teach, to make disciples of all nations. But it must also baptize those disciples. That's the Lord's command. In other words, baptizing is a divinely appointed practice for Christ's church to the end of the world. But that means, congregation, that that we need to understand what it is. What, What is baptism? The Lord doesn't explain it here in Matthew 28. He expected his disciples, his apostles, to know what he meant. What he expected them to know what he was talking about. But what did he mean? What was he appointing? Well, it's clear from the rest of the New Testament that when he appointed baptism, he was speaking about, to use the words of answer 69, an external or outward washing with water. The Bible also speaks about other kinds of baptism. You can think of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but here Jesus is referring to an outward washing with water. That's what baptism typically refers to. Maybe children, you know the story of Naaman, the leper, in the, in the Old Testament. You remember what Elisha told Naaman, what he told Naaman to do when he came to him for cleansing from his leprosy. He told him to go and, and to wash in the Jordan River seven times. And you know what, what Naaman did. He, he got angry, didn't he? He refused to go. But, but eventually his servants, they, they convinced him to, to go and do it. And, and so he did. And, and, and the Bible says that he, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan and he was healed. He was cleansed. But here, here's the point. In the Greek Old Testament, that word dipped, which is an Old Testament that many of the Jews in Jesus' day would have known, that word dipped is the word baptized. So so Naaman baptized himself. And the the Bible clearly presents that as doing what Elisha had told him to do, which was what? Go and wash. The point is, that's what baptizing most commonly referred to. It refers to an external or outward washing with water. We we see that with John the Baptist in the first pages of of Matthew. He baptized, meaning he, he washed people with water. That is what the Lord commands His church to do. He commands His church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, externally washing them with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We know that because that's what the church did. 
They made Christian disciples by teaching and preaching Christ and the Spirit blessing that preaching so that sinners were brought to faith in Jesus. And then they baptized them. They baptized those disciples. When the people who were convicted by Peter's sermon in Acts 2 asked what they should do at Pentecost, Peter said in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And that's what happened. Verse 41 says that they that gladly received his word were baptized. That means they were washed with water. It doesn't, it doesn't speak about water specifically in, in Acts 2, but it's clear from other passages. For example, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. When Philip went up into his chariot and preached Jesus to him from Isaiah 53, what happened? The Ethiopian eunuch believed and it says in verse 36 that, that as they were going on their way, as they were in this, this chariot and riding on the road, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Philip washed the eunuch with water. Peter did the same thing in Acts 10, verses 47 to 48, when Cornelius and his family and friends believed the gospel and the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. Verse 47 says that Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized, to be washed with water in the name of the Lord. Why? Because Christ had commanded them to do that. Christ appointed this external washing with water for his church. So if there's no water, there's no baptism. Some of you may know that my opa, my grandfather was a pastor. He apparently, he apparently administered baptism to me when, when I was a baby. But, but at the time he was just starting, or, or maybe somewhat along the way, but he was getting Alzheimer's. And I'm told he actually forgot the water. My dad had to, had to say to him, Dad, you need to, you need to use the water. You need to put water on, on him. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been really baptized. The point is, the water is important. When Christ appointed baptism, he appointed an outward washing with water. Now, some of you are hearing this, and you're thinking, okay, what's new? Why make this a big point? Well, because even if we know this already, it's important to be reminded. It's important that we all, including our children with us here, they, they understand, they, they, it's, under, it's important that they be clear, that we be clear that baptism is an outward washing with water and it's a divinely appointed practice. That's why we do it. We don't do it because it's cute. We don't do it because it's tradition. We don't do it because we think it's a good idea. We don't even do it because the church tells us to do it. We do it because the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the king of his church, told us to do it. That's why we sometimes call it holy baptism. Not because the water itself is somehow holy or special. It's just plain, ordinary water. But we call it holy baptism because Christ has appointed this external washing with water for his church. Okay, but what's the point? What's it, what's it all about? Well, that brings us to our second heading. Baptism's divinely attached promise. See, Christ didn't just appoint this outward washing with water as a sort of meaningless, empty ritual. 
but he attached a promise to it. What is that promise? It's the promise of the washing away of our sins. Now, that's not clearly explicitly said in Matthew 28, although it is implied. But there are other passages that make this more clear. In question and answer 71, refers to some of them. You can think of Mark 16, verse 16, where Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ adds a promise to baptism here, a promise of salvation, which, as we, as we sang from Psalm 51, also it, it's washing away of sins and, and baptism. They really amount to the, to the or, or washing away of the sins and, and salvation really amount to the same thing. And in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter says something similar. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or into the remission or forgiveness of sins. Do you see it? There's a promise attached to baptism. The promise of the forgiveness, of the washing away of sins. Christ adds, He attaches this promise to baptism, not apart from believing, not apart from repentance, but nevertheless a promise, the promise of salvation, of forgiveness, of the washing away of our sins. That's why Ananias told Paul in, in Acts twenty two sixteen, after he had been just converted on the road to Damascus, Ananias said, said to him, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. He connects them, you see. Why? Because Christ has attached the promise of the washing away of our sins to baptism, to this outward washing with water. And that's why when question 69 asks the believer, how are you admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ is of real advantage to you? The believer answers thus, that Christ appointed this external, this outward washing with water, adding thereto this promise that I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. So what does that mean? It means that when someone is baptized, they're not just externally, outwardly washed with water, they are given a promise. A promise of the washing away of all their sins. And again, that's not apart from repentance and faith. But the point is, that's what baptism is primarily all about. Even, even the fact that baptism is, refers to washing with water points to that. Because water is used for washing. And, and the Bible constantly and over and over again uses that image of washing to speak about our salvation, our inward, our inward cleansing from sin. So Christ in his word has attached to baptism the promise of the washing away of our sins. And that's why, congregation, baptism, baptism is such a precious and great gift. Think about it. Think with me about what a glorious promise this is. The promise of the washing away of our sins. It's a promise of free and full forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Just think back to Acts 22 for a moment and, and try and put your, yourself in, in Paul's shoes. Imagine you were him. What, what does Paul say? What, what does he confess that he did? did? We, we read some of it earlier in, in Acts 22. He, he says that he had imprisoned and beat in every synagogue those who believed in Christ. He had even stood by when the blood of Stephen 
thy martyr, the, the Christ's martyr, the Lord's martyr, the first Christian martyr was being shed. He had consented to his death. He had helped to murder him by holding the coats of those who were stoning him. What a sinner Paul was. He says later in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13, that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an injurious or a violent and an arrogant person. He even calls himself the chief of sinners. He knew how much wickedness he had committed, thinking the whole time that he, he was serving God. But, but then the Lord Jesus had stopped him in his tracks, blinding him in his grace, blinding him with his glory and saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He uncovered Paul's sin and he converted him. And then he told Saul, or Paul, to go into Damascus and he would be told what he must do. So again, just imagine, imagine yourself. You go into Damascus. You're, you've done all these things and you've been confronted by the, the reality of what you are actually doing. Persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You go into Damascus, you're still blind. And for three days, nothing happens. For three days, Paul remained blind, Acts 9 tells us. And he did not eat or drink, he just prayed. And we don't know what he all thought about. We don't know what he prayed about during that time. But just imagine if you were him. Don't you think the memory of all his horrible sins, of all that he'd been planning to do in Damascus, and all that he had done in all other places, don't you think it must have bothered him as he sat there in darkness? Or do you think he might have wondered if, if God would or, or had really forgiven him? His sin ever before him, as we, we sang. Then after three days, Ananias comes to him, and through him, Paul receives his sight. And then after telling him that God has chosen him to be Christ's witness, Ananias says this, And now, why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, how wonderful those words must have sounded to Paul. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. What? What? My sins? My persecution of Jesus Christ? All my sins can be washed away? They can be forgiven? Yes, Paul. Through faith in Christ calling on the name of the Lord, your sins are all washed away. That means you're completely and you're freely forgiven. That's God's promise. The promise Christ attaches to your baptism. Oh, what a relief. What a blessed comfort Paul's baptism must have been to him because of that promise of the washing away of our sins attached to it. It's the promise of free and full forgiveness. And congregation, that same promise is attached to your baptism. The promise of the forgiveness of all your sins for Christ's sake through faith in Him. It's a promise that is revealed in God's Word. Whoever believes in Christ shall receive the forgiveness of sins. But when you've been baptized, that promise, that promise is more personal. In baptism, God Himself comes down. He comes down to you, as it were, and He says to you personally, I'm giving you the, my promise. I'm promising you that you will receive from me the remission, the forgiveness of sins freely, to use the words of answer 70. 
for the sake of Christ's blood which he shed for us, for his people, by his sacrifice on the cross. What a promise that is. That's why your baptism should be a comfort to you, dear baptized believer. When you struggle with the memory of past sin, when your sin is ever before you, when you wonder sometimes if you've really been forgiven, or when even as a Christian you've given in to temptation, you looked at a picture you shouldn't have, or you lost your temper, or you complained about something, and you're convicted, and you're ashamed, and you wonder if it's all over. Maybe God won't forgive me anymore. Has he cast me, has he cast me from his sight forever? Oh, beloved, then think about, then remember your baptism and his divinely attached promise. Because baptism comes with this promise. The promise of free and full forgiveness for Christ's sake, through faith in him. That should make a baptism, baptism a comfort to you who are baptized believers. But what about if you are here as a baptized unbeliever? As someone who is not trusting in Jesus Christ? You know. You know you need God's forgiveness. Deep down you know it. You know that you are filthy. You know that you're spiritually dirty, that you are a sinner before God, that you need to be saved and forgiven. But maybe you don't dare believe that Jesus is willing to save you. Or that he can forgive you for all that you've done. It's a lie. Remember your baptism. Christ has given you his promise that through faith in him you shall be saved. You shall be forgiven. He's not only revealed that promise in his word generally to all who hear the gospel. He's attached it to your baptism. He's addressed it to you personally. And he never breaks his promise. Well, then let your baptism be an encouragement to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, to come to him pleading that promise of forgiveness and to cast yourself on him. He will keep his promise. He will wash your sins away. He will forgive all of them, even the ones you think he can't or he won't. That is the promise Christ has attached to baptism. But there's even more. There's even more. The promise of the, the washing away of our sins, the promise he's attached to our baptism doesn't just refer to forgiveness. It doesn't just refer to being justified, being declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ by his blood. It refers to being sanctified. Being made increasingly holy by his spirit. Paul speaks of sanctification that way in, in Ephesians 5 as the washing away uh, of sins. He says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You, do you see what it's saying, congregation? When Christ died for his people, when he gave himself for his church, he did that not just so that they could be forgiven. He did that so that he might sanctify them, so that he might cleanse them with the washing of water by the word. 
To be washed for our sin, from our sins means not only to be forgiven for Christ's sake, it means also, as answer 70 goes on to say, to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. That's why Christ gave himself for us, so he might make us holy by his Spirit and Word, so that he might conform us to the image of himself, so that he might make us pure like himself. That's his purpose. That's his goal. That's what he's working towards, and he will do it. Do you remember what what Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you will what? Will what? Will perform it. He will complete it. He will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That is also part of the promise that Christ has attached to our baptism. Through faith, He will renew us and sanctify us so that we become like Him. What a promise that is. What a promise Christ has attached to our baptism, beloved. Do you see that with me? What an encouragement this promise is as we run the race, as we fight the good fight of faith, as we strive and we struggle against sin. As sin battles hard against you, dear baptized believer, and you become weary sometimes of the battle, and you wonder if you'll ever make it, if you'll ever overcome, then remember His promise. Remember His promise to make you holy, to conform you to the image of Himself, to finish the good work that He has begun. That's His promise, revealed in His Word to all who look to Him in faith, and it's that promise that He has attached to your baptism and addressed to you personally. It's a promise that He will never give up on you. Remember that promise. Plead on it. Rely on it. What a glorious promise Christ has attached to baptism. It's really a promise of full salvation, isn't it? That's why baptism is such a great and precious gift. Do you see that? What an encouragement baptism is to faith in Christ. How sad then, how foolish, how wicked it really is when you've been baptized and you've received that promise from God given and addressed to you, but you don't respond in faith. You don't respond in repentance. Instead, you ignore God. You ignore His his promises. You ignore His blessings. Oh, what a sad thing. What a terrible end you will come to if you continue in that way. In the words of Hebrews, how shall you escape if you neglect so great salvation? Salvation that came so close to you, that God promised to you in baptism. Oh, that no one here, that no one here, younger or older, continue in unbelief. Christ is able and willing to save anyone. He does not desire the death of the wicked, but that they should turn from their ways and live. That's what your baptism says. Well, then repent. Turn away from your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast yourself on Him. Trust in Him, and you shall be saved. That's His promise. That's the promise He's attached to baptism. 
Maybe you're thinking, well, what does that mean? Does it, does it mean that baptism itself saves us? That's a good question. And it brings us to our third heading. Our theme, remember, is baptism, the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. We've, we've seen it's divinely attached practice, it's, or appointed practice, and it's divinely attached promise. But now we want to consider its divinely affirmed p- purpose. What is the purpose of baptism? Does the promise that Christ has attached to baptism, the promise of the washing away of our sins, mean that baptism itself saves us? In the Bible, it can, it can sometimes sound like that's what it means. You take Acts 22, which we read earlier again. Ananias commands Paul to be baptized and wash away his sins. So does that mean that baptism is actually the washing away of sin? So question 72 asks, is the outward external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? And beloved, the catechism gives a clear biblical answer to that question. Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sin. The Bible is crystal clear on that point. If you don't yet see that, then please reach out to me and I'll I'll try to help you to see it. What does that mean then? It means that baptism cannot and does not save us. It doesn't. We have a clear biblical example of that in in Acts 8 with Simon the sorcerer. The Bible says that he believed and was baptized. But then when he tried to buy the power of, the, of Peter and John, when he tried to buy the power to give the Holy Spirit, Peter told him his heart wasn't right in the sight of God. His faith was not real. He wasn't truly saved. Baptism doesn't save us. But then why does Acts 22, verse 16 and some other passages make it sound like it does? In the words of question 73, why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing away of regeneration and the washing away of sins? If baptism doesn't actually do that, then what is the point? What is its purpose? Well, this really goes back to last week. What are the sacraments? What are the sacraments? They are signs and seals appointed by God. Do you remember, children, what signs and seals are? A sign is is like an illustration. It's a picture to help us better understand something. It's like an illustration in a book. I mentioned that last week. It helps you to understand what the words are saying. That's what baptism does. It illustrates, it pictures for us what God means by His promise in His Word to to wash away our sins. When you see someone being baptized with, with water, it's a picture. It's an outward sign of the inward washing away of our sins by Christ's blood and Spirit. The washing away of our sins that God has promised to all who believe in Him. But but what is a seal then? Remember what a seal does. It confirms something to be real, to be true, to be trustworthy. Like a government seal that's stamped on a, on a birth certificate. That seal confirms the birth certificate is true. It's not forged. It's trustworthy. And that's what baptism is to God's promise of the washing away of our sins. It's like a seal that's stamped on to that promise. It tells you His promise is true. It's real, it's trustworthy, it assures you that you can bank on that promise. It's 100% reliable. And that is the purpose, congregation of baptism, to be a sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. 
It really has the same purpose as circumcision did in the Old Testament. What was the primary purpose of circumcision? Of the cutting off of the male's foreskin. Well, Paul speaks about it in Romans 4, verse 11. In Romans 4, Paul's reinforcing his point that we are justified, we are declared righteous by faith and not by works. And he, he uses a circumcision of Abraham as proof. Why? Because Abraham was circumcised after he believed and was declared righteous before God. Right? So he's, he's, he's making the point. Circumcision didn't save Abraham. It was through faith that he was saved. But what was, what was the purpose of circumcision then? Romans 4 verse 11. Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. In other words, the purpose of circumcision was not to save, but to act as the sign and seal of the righteousness that God gives, that he imputes, he accounts to every believer. That was the purpose of Abraham's circumcision. And just by the way, that was the purpose of every Israelite circumcision, including the circumcision of those who were only eight days old. And even the circumcision of those who did not ever believe. Baptism is essentially the sign and seal of the exact same thing. There is no essential difference between being justified and declared righteous before God and having our sins washed away and forgiven. It amounts to the same thing. And so whether you think Colossians 2 teaches that baptism actually replaces circumcision or not, Romans 4 clearly shows us that New Testament baptism and Old Testament circumcision have the same primary purpose or function to sign and seal the washing away of our sins, the righteousness that God gives to all who believe. But why then does the Bible sometimes seem to identify baptism with the actual washing away of sin? Well, for one thing, it stresses the importance of baptism, doesn't it? It's not necessary for salvation, but it is important. We shouldn't carelessly neglect or delay it. But it also speaks that way to underscore for us, as, as, as question and answer 73 speak about, to underscore for us, to teach us, to remind us that the way of cleansing from our sin is found outside of ourselves, in the blood and in the spirit of Christ, just like the way to be washed, to be cleansed from outward dirt is outside of yourself by the water that you are washed with. And it speaks especially, it, spe it speaks that way especially to assure you, dear believer, of the reality of your salvation, a true faith. Even when you don't feel like it, you don't feel saved, through faith in Christ, you really, truly are cleansed from your sins as surely as you are outwardly washed with water. Baptism is, the reason the Bible speaks that way is, is, is to, to make that point that it's a sign and the seal of, 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 of baptism. That's why the Bible speaks of it as a washing away of sins. You know, we do the same thing. I know this is maybe an outdated, somewhat of an outdated example. We don't use checks very often. But when you give somebody a check and the person receives the check, he, he thinks he's got a, say it's a check for $100. He, he says, I've got $100. Well, yeah, he has the check, but he doesn't have the $100 yet. But it's a, it's a sign in the seal of the $100. And if he goes to the bank and he, and he gives it to the bank and he cashes it or he puts it in the bank then the $100 is his. You see, that's what, that's what baptism is saying. 
We have the sign and the seal of salvation, of the washing away of our sins. But we're called then to go to the bank with it, to go to Christ with His promise. Say, Lord, save me. The divinely affirmed purpose of baptism is not to save us, it's to teach and to assure us of the cleansing we have through faith in Christ. The Lord affirms it. He affirms it, as I mentioned, by showing us through the account of Simon the sorcerer that baptism doesn't save us. We're saved, our sins are washed away only by the blood and spirit of Christ. And yet he tells us that baptism is so closely tied to the washing away of our sins. And by telling us that, he's affirming that the purpose of baptism is to sign and seal that washing away of our sins that we have in Christ through faith in him. Do you see what a great gift baptism is? Let us then make use of it, congregation. All our life long, especially in the time of temptation. It's not that we put our trust in the, in the sacrament, in the water. No, it's that we put our trust in the word that is already revealed, but is, has been attached to our baptism. Let us make use of it all of our life long, especially in the time of temptation. And when we see baptism being administered to others, the Westminster Larger Catechism is so helpful here. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it talks about improving our baptism. How do we improve our baptism? And it says it's, um, we don't do that nearly as often as we, as we should. But how do we do it? Well, just to paraphrase, just to bring out a few things, let us be thankful to God. Let us be thankful to God for our baptism and for the great promise that He has attached to it, the washing away of our sins that it signs and seals. Let us heed and submit to its call and encouragement to rest on Christ and on Him alone for all of our salvation. Let us humble ourselves too for all of our sins and our unbelief in spite of our baptism. And let us magnify God for all of His grace and His mercy and His tenderness toward us. And let us use it to grow, use our baptism to grow in humble assurance of our salvation. Yes, let's use it to persevere in faith and in holiness and in love. Also in this new week, let us make use of our baptism. It's the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, and triune God, really, we thank you so much for the gift of baptism. 